This past week, I read a sad and yet heartwarming story. It was about a family that was traveling overseas to a foreign land for an adoption. And as they got there, they were devastated by what they saw. It was dark and cold in this orphanage place, extremely dirty, that the stench was horrific. And as they got there, they really wanted to just get out of there. And yet they had to remain throughout a process because they came with a purpose to, to adopt and bring into their family a child. And they would not leave until that was all completed and they were willing to do whatever they had to do uh, to get that and, and bring them into their new family. And so they, they go through the process and as they get the child and as they leave, the child getting to see daylight for the very first time, actually for the very first time getting out of this building, cries and screams. And it's almost like pointing and grabbing back to this place, this horrible place in which they're leaving. And, and the parents are thinking, oh child, if you only knew the new life that you are getting. If you only knew what you were being adopted into, the, the, the fears would assail the, the, the unknowns would, would become okay. We're going to be doing a three-week series on adoption. And we're not talking about physical adoption. We're going to be talking about biblical, spiritual adoption. What does that mean? And sometimes I wonder, do we, almost like this child, have fears, anxieties, worries, unknowns based on not fully understanding or appreciating what we have been adopted into. The, the, the fact that we have this great and amazing Heavenly Father who loves us and longs to take care of us as he sees fit. And so, while you may not hear anything revolutionary that's brand new to you today or over the next two or three weeks, what I would hope would be this, that as a result of our time together, you would be reminded of who God our Heavenly Father is, be comforted by that, and then when the unknowns arise, when there's the worries that uh, tend to consume our mind in the morning and the night and, and all throughout the day, that we would be mindful of who it is that we belong to as a Christian, who we've been adopted into. I think there's something that happens. We can know these truths within our head, right? Yeah, 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 I, I know I'm adopted into God's family. I know he's my father. I know he loves me. I know he cares for me. But, but sometimes we, we struggle to believe that within our heart. And there's like this big gap, this 12-inch gap from our head to our heart. And it usually tends to manifest itself in the midst of trials and tribulations when life gets hard and we didn't plan on this. Um, you know what? Sometimes my, my younger children, when they're younger, they don't tend to worry but as life gets harder and they become more aware of those things, they, they tend to, to worry. But you know what my kids don't worry about? They don't worry about the electric bill. They don't worry about the power bill. Um, they don't worry about the, the cost of gasoline. Do you know why? They, they don't worry about what's going to be the meal on the table tonight. Do you know why? Because they have a dad. They have a father who's going to take care of this and this and this. And they're a member of this family, and so they just know, you know what, dad's got it. Dad's got it. Father is taking care of these things. 
And so in this three-week series, the adoption of uh, the, the doctrine of adoption, we're going to be really looking at what that means to be in this membership of God's family. It's going to be this short yet significant journey through the scriptures. We're going to be going through a lot of places at a very fast pace. It's kind of like the systematic theology, and you're like, what is that? You're already scaring me with some of these words. It's just really a, a big picture overview, methodically working through what, what does the Bible say concerning this, because it's not like, hey, we're going to look at the doctrine of adoption, and it's just this one chapter right here. No, it's it's really something that underlines and is highlighted throughout the storyline of Scripture. It's, it's the threads of which re, re, uh, is, is woven through God's redemptive story of history. Like, fr- from beginning to end, there are these threads of adoption and redemption. God taking those wayward, those outcast, and bringing them in. That's what we're going to be looking at. And so, the three-week series is going to be broken into this. Week number one, which is today... Pillars of adoption, what does the Bible say? Um, week number two is going to be the privileges of adoption. Like, what are some of the benefits of being adopted? And then week number three is the practical implications of adoption. How does this impact our, our lives? And so today is just the foundational things that we build upon. So it's, it's important that we have these certain pillars within our life because understanding these things then helps us to understand the privileges and the practical impact upon our life. So the sermon title is pretty simple, Pillars of Adoption. And we're going to look just real briefly at 1 John chapter 3, the first part of verse 1. It says this, the, the word of God. See what great love the Father has given us that we should be called God's children, and we are. John wrote this to believers, followers of Christ, Christians, so they would continue to grow in their confidence, but also grow in their understanding and identity of who they are as children of God. So right there it says, see. That's also a word that says, behold. It's kind of like this thought of like, open up your eyes. I want you to see. I want you to look into this. See for yourself. Take it in. Take what in? Well, it says it right there. What great love. This isn't an average love. This isn't a love on a scale of 1 to 10, a a, a 1 being low and a 10 being high. This is a great love. This is like a 10 plus. It's the love above all loves. And that's what we're talking about here. But but, but what great love? The the love of the Father. You see it there in the scripture? The, The Father there is talking about God, the creator, the sustainer of the universe, who has all power, all knowledge, all everything, the all sufficient one. It's his great love that we're talking about here. Well, what has he given us? Well, well, first, before we answer that, who is the us? I just mentioned it a moment ago. This is to believers. This is to Christians. This is to followers of Christ who have been adopted into the family of God. It's so amazing. The one eternal God, the everlasting to everlasting, who literally needs nothing but freely gives us everything that we need. That's what he's talking about right here. Does, Does God give us a new car? No. He gives us something so much better. He gives us a new family, an eternal family. He gives us himself, a new father. He will be a father to us, and we will be children to him. That's what this picture of adoption that he wants us to grasp is. You see, we are adopted into his family and thus given a new membership, a new identity. It says it right there that we're called God's children. 
Just pause for a moment. Take that in. If you have children, you, you know the, the significance the, the first time you became a parent of a, a great love that, that you didn't even know existed. There is a great love of God the Father that we don't even fully understand or comprehend. And it's there. And so this morning, one of the things that I want us to understand that God doesn't just call us to be friends, although he is a friend to us, he calls us into this family as he wants to be a father to us. And why does he do it? Because it says right there, because of his great love. And so the big idea for this morning is this. When we properly understand the doctrine of adoption, then and only then will we rightly understand the depths of God's love. So you see, when we understand this aspect of, of adoption from the biblical perspective, it's going to help us understand at a greater, deeper level who God is, the character of him, and his great love for us. This is a wonderful truth that we must not overlook. We must not overshadow. This is something that we must pour into and, and realize and appreciate and say, oh, praise God. The biblical teaching of adoption highlights the personal relationship that salvation gives to us. You see, in regeneration or being born again or salvation, that gives us this new spiritual life. I think most of you, if not all of you, understand that. And from there, there's this aspect of justification where God takes us a legal standing of being guilty or, and then makes us not guilty. He takes us from being unrighteous and makes us righteous. Okay, that's all really good. But you know what's even better than that? Like, those are, those are really good. Well, like, now the icing on the cake. Now he's going to put something else on that. Adoption makes us actually members of the family. Amen. And I'm going to say that a lot today, but hopefully it starts to ring in your ears and you're reminded of this all throughout the week. So I want to give us a, a definition of adoption here. Adoption is an act of God. Notice it's an act of God, okay? And we're going to see that through a couple different scriptures. Whereby he makes us members of his family. And so keep that in mind. Keep that in the back of your mind. What a wonderful thought. There's, I mean, think of a courtroom setting of a adoption hearing, which I've been to a few. You may or may not know that. I've been to a few. And, and, and here's like this picture that I want us to embrace. There's the judge that's there very, you know, in the formal gear, the robe, all that stuff. And not only does the judge in one moment, look at you and your life and say, because of Christ, I now found you, instead of guilty, I find you not guilty. Instead of finding you unrighteous, I find you righteous because of Christ. And then he hits the gavel, and you're like, yes, I'm free, I'm cleansed, oh, this is awesome. And then the judge takes his robe off, and he says, and also, not only that, uh, I'm going to give you a new home, uh, and I, I have a great inheritance for you, and I'm actually going to be your father, and you're going to be my child, and like, before you, you didn't even realize that, like, you're like, this was an adoption hearing as well, I, I thought I, I was going to jail for the rest of my life, and now you have forgiven me, and loved me, and given me something far greater than I ever thought or imagined, that's the picture of adoption here. This is wonderful, and so today we're going to look at three pillars of adoption, Pillar number one is this, God's plan. You see, this is not just a plan. This is a perfect plan of redemption. The redemption storyline stitched throughout all of the, the Bible. And when we think back to Adam and Eve, um, 
they embraced God in the early days as this holy, heavenly Father. They were given instructions on how to remain and dwell with him um, because as long as there is no sin, they could dwell with God forever and it would be awesome. But they chose to sin and they rebelled and because of this, they were now kicked out of this amazing place and said, I still love you, but I cannot dwell with you right now because of the sin. And things would grow worse and worse and worse. And throughout the history of time, we would see this. God had a plan. Through Adam's descendants, Abraham, uh, they would raise up these descendants and they would find themselves caught in slavery in Egypt. And here's what we learn there. God loved them and would deliver them to the hands of Pharaoh and he would actually make them, instead of slaves of sin in Pharaoh, he would set them free. And there's a passage um, in Exodus chapter 4, verse 23, where it describes Israel as the son. Israel as the son, the son of God. So Abraham was the son of God. He's the first man that God created. He's the son of God. And yet then he's kicked out of the garden and somewhat cut off in that moment. He's now a slave to sin, and so it continues, it continues, it continues. God builds up this family, this people, this identity of, of people that he longs to love, and he longs for them to love him. He says, I will be a father to you, and you will be like a son to me. He describes this. And once again, he delivers them out of Egypt, out of their sin, out of their slavery, and says, hey, I, I, I have a promise for you, a promised land for you, and I want to dwell with you, just like I did in the in Eden. And you know what? He, he gives him this promised land. And he says, well, listen, I long to be your God, and I long for you to be my people. I long to be a father, and I long for you to be my children, and, and we're just going to live and dwell together. All is good, right? Oh! All is not good, though, because they still have the sin nature, and so over the course of time, they get ensnared in their own sins once again, and instead of following and serving God the Father, they start to seek out foreign, foreign gods. They start to commit adultery on God. And God says, fine, I, I give you up. You don't want to be a part of this family? Fine. But you know what? You keep reading through the Bible. God had a plan. <laughs> oh, he had a plan. It's, it's, it's awesome. It's amazing. It's beautiful. For he sought to dwell with them. You know, as you fast forward through the Bible, you're going to see in Psalm 103, verse 13, King David describes God as a compassionate father. A compassionate father through those who would fear him. The problem was this. Throughout his family line, which isn't good, and yet it's also connected to the family line of Jesus, which ought to tell us something. God loves broken families, and he can still work with all of those things. It should be encouraging for you and me, because I don't know about you. Actually, I do. You all have broken families. I have broken families. It's the, the state in which we live. And so God wants to create and give us this greater family. But that's benefits and privileges next week. I'm not going to talk about that. That's all you. Okay. So, here's what we come to see. Here's what we come to understand. God has a plan. And so, beyond David, he's still working this plan. He's still working this plan. And here is his plan. His plan is going to be perfected through sending his perfect son, the second Adam. What Adam, the first Adam, failed to do, Jesus would come and be the true fulfillment of. And so he sends his son, the perfect sovereign creator, the eternal father, sends his only son, Christ Jesus, into the world. And Jesus gives up his life. 
bearing his father's wrath as he dies upon a cross. And yet in this tragedy, there is something very triumphal. He purchases a means for us to be saved from our sin and then to be adopted into his family. Oh, this is good. And so he longs to justify sinners. He looks to give them this new birth, but then he longs to welcome them as outcasts into his family. I'm going to read just real quickly. You should read sometime today or tomorrow. Ephesians 1 and 2. It's so rich. You should read Galatians 3 and 4. So rich. I'm going to read one verse from Galatians 3. We're going to look in Galatians 4 in just a few moments. For through faith, this is what Paul tells the church of believers, for through faith, you are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. So he's not like, eh, you can be a son, but you can't. No, 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 no. You place your faith in Christ. God gives you this this gift of faith, and you trust in him. Boom, you're granted. You're in. You are in. He, He says, come one, come all, through faith in Christ. And so he gives us this plan, this perfect plan, and it's accomplished through his loving providence. And that's actually pillar number two, the providence of God. Now, when we think of providence, I want you to think of God's power to to enact his will as he sees fit. So if he says it, he can also enact it and empower it how he sees fit. Because all along throughout the entire Bible, what he's doing is weaving these things through, saying, this is going to happen, and this is going to happen, and this is going to happen. These are all prophecies pointing to Jesus and this perfect plan. You see, the, the, the concept of salvation and adoption is not plan B. This has actually been God's plan all along. In fact, if you look back to Genesis in the beginning of sin, you also see the beginning of the weaving of the story of him planting the seed of this adoption story. It's there. So when we think of adoption or providence, I want us to think of this. Providence is not just the power to carry out a plan, but it's the love and compassion that sees the plan through to completion. Okay, so he's not like, yeah, I'm thinking about adopting people. I'm thinking about growing this family. No, he says, I'm going to do it, and I'm going to ensure all the means for it to get done. That's what he's talking about. And in the Old Testament, there's all these foreshadowings. There's all these pictures of it, but it wasn't fully understood. It wasn't fully conceived within their minds. And then when Christ comes on the scene in the New Testament, he starts to tie together these loose ends. He's starting to connect the dots of what people didn't see or fully understand in the Old Testament. And so as we see the first Adam, now the Son of God, Jesus will be the fuller, greater, complete Adam. In the genealogy, we're not getting to get into a Christmas series, but we'll probably look at this in just a few weeks. In the genealogy, in Luke chapter 3, we see that Adam is called the son of God, but he's the, the fallen one, and Jesus will be the risen one. And this is what he wants us to, to understand. And so, although Adam marred in the image of God's likeness, he was made in the image of God's likeness, and he reflected it to a certain degree. But as time goes on, that image continued to be tainted or polluted with sin. And so rather than us being perfect image bearers, um, we actually reflect an image of sin at, at times. It's not what God wanted. It's not what God designs. But he doesn't just leave us there. He doesn't just save us and say, good luck. He says, listen, I actually want to adopt you in 
and through my providential power, I can ensure that that happens. But just if you're gonna, just know if you're going to be a part of this family, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the mess of your life and I'm going to make you into a masterpiece because I'm not done with you. What I begin, I will also finish. I will accomplish. And here's what I want to do. I want to change you into the image of my son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 3 talks about this. He says, I, I want you to see, I want you to understand. I love you where you're at, but I'm not content with where you're at. I want to take you to a better, higher place. As I bring you into my family, I want to clothe you, I want to provide for you, I want to give you all that you need. You may not like it all the time, it may not always be fun or enjoyable, but it is for your good. And by my grace and for more glory, and I will do these things. That's what adoption is. That's what adoption, what it means to be adopted into God's family. He wants us to understand these things. I want us to consider, just for a moment, Galatians 4. We're going to look at verses 4 through 7. It says, When the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive. There it is. Do you see it? It's right there. I didn't make this up. Adoption as sons. And because you are sons... God sent the Spirit, that is the Spirit of God, His Son, into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. God unites us. He grants us this Holy Spirit. Once again, privileges. I'm not talking about, okay, we're talking about providence, not, not privileges, but what a wonderful thing. And then he says this in verse 7. So you no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then God, who does the work here, notice this, but God has made you an heir. If you go back to that, in, in this perfect time, in the perfect way, God would send forth his son, getting forward to the, that Christmas message, right? The coming of him. But if you look at that as a whole, God sent his son, God sent the spirit, God has made you heirs. It's this wonderful work of God in his providential ways, working be, be, before the scene, behind the scenes, all these things that we do not see, we do not fathom, but God is at work. That's who our God is to accomplish his will, to accomplish his plans as he sees fit. And so the plan of salvation leading to our adoption is not by accident. God enacted this, God empowered this, and God makes this accessible for you and for me through faith in Christ. This ought to give you hope if you're not adopted yet, and it also ought to give you hope if you are adopted and you have family, friends, coworkers, people you know who do not know Christ. Because it's, it's, it's this gift that he offers to all who would believe. No one is too far gone. There might be some people in your life, you're like, they're too far gone for me to love, for me to forgive. That's our sinfulness. And yet God says, there's no one too far gone for me to forgive, for me to restore, for me to take that which is broken and make it into a masterpiece. That's, that's, that's what adoption is. It's a beautiful picture. Okay. Here's what I come to understand. In God's providence, he sends the presence of God. That is, the God came near through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, which leads us to our third pillar here. And the third pillar is this, God's people. You see, we become God's people through the person of Christ. And it's all part of the adopted plan. And once a, an adoption is finalized in court, a person becomes an official member in that family. 
you see there's now this distinction between family member and non-family member. Just like we would know, hopefully we would know, <laughs> if you know your family, who's in your family and who's not. Um, if my son comes running inside and he grabs a seat at the dinner table, you know what? He's a member of my family. He can sit anywhere he wants. He's got a seat at the table. Well, he can't sit at my, my seat, right? Because I have my own seat. Just like God the Father has his own seats, right? But he, he, he's got a seat at the table. Now, if anyone else, just like some random stranger run, runs into my house and he just sits down, I'm going to say, hey, man, I don't know you. Depart from me. Get on out of here. <laughs> like, you are not a member of this family and you do not have a seat at this table. And here's what I want us to see. We, we must make this distinction because we can't have this, this, this fuzzy land of like, well, all people are God's children. I understand what we're saying there. All people are created in the image of God. That is true. But not all people are God's children. But, but, but they can be. But they can be. Okay, that, that's, that's what we have to remember. This good news is this. This is what John chapter 10 says. Or John chapter 1, verse 10. These are the words of Jesus. He was in the world. Oh, actually, no, this is the words of John speaking of Jesus. He was in the world, that is Jesus, and the world was created through him. He's there in creation. He's always existed. He has this special, unique relationship with God the Father, and yet the world did not recognize him. They, they didn't see it. He came to his own, his own people, and they did not receive him. This ought to be good when you, you encounter someone that says, man, I just feel rejected by the world. I was rejected by my family. You're in good company. That's who Jesus was. He came, his, his own, he was not loved and kicked out of his hometown. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be, what's it say? You see it right there. Children of God. To those who would believe in his name. That's the good news. We become the children of God. The, 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 we are children of Father, the Father of love. That's why he does all these things. But then there are those who are father, who are children of the father of lies. Galatians speaks of this, and so does Ephesians. Those who do not believe are not the children of God or adopted into his family, but they are the children of wrath. This is Ephesians chapter 2. They are sons of disobedience. They refuse to show up to the adoption ceremony. They say, I, want, I reject that. I want nothing to do with that. And God says, okay, that." fine, I, I, I love to adopt you, and yet they have believed the lie, and so they are not in. In fact, the Jews who rejected Jesus, they tried to claim that God was their father. Jesus would have many debates with these individuals. This is his response to them. These super religious, self-righteous individuals, John chapter 8, verse 42 says this. These are the words of Jesus to them that said, God is our father. If God were your father, you would love me because I came from God and I am here. For I didn't come on my own, but he sent me. Why don't you understand what I say? Because you cannot listen to my words. You are of your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of it. Do you see what Jesus is doing? It's not, a come, it's not like everyone's all in this together. No, 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 no. You're either in God's family or you are not. 
And we need to understand this because if we really love those around us, we ought to tell them, we want to talk about how they can be adopted into God's love through faith in Christ. Don't believe the lies of all these other things. In love, we ought to do this. You know what's interesting? Jesus, oftentimes when he's with his disciples, he calls them brothers. Why does he do that? They're not physical brothers. He understood this concept of this family relationship. When you become a follower of Christ, you're adopted into the family, and now I call you brother. I call you sister. But in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, it talks about him being the firstborn of many brothers and sisters. And so Jesus makes this clear distinction, a special distinction. You see, throughout the Bible, we don't really think of the firstborn as something extremely more special or unique, you know. Uh, my firstborn child is here. She is not my <clears throat> favorite just because she's my firstborn. <clears throat> she thinks she is, but I, I love her, but I also love all my other ones. But with Jesus, there is a special and unique love that God has for his firstborn son because it's through him that there will be more sons and daughters, through him. And in the Old Testament, <clears throat> can you get us some water? In the Old Testament, here's what we see. We see the, thank you. <clears throat> we see uh, some emphasis on the firstborn. You see, the firstborn was consecrated to God from the womb in Exodus chapter 13. God pronounced judgment on the firstborn, those in Egypt, and he also uh, considered Israel his firstborn. We talked about all these things, but we also see that in that day, the firstborn was the one that was the heir of all things, the, the one who got the inheritance. And here's what Jesus does as he makes us the sons of God and, and the firstborn of many. Jesus doesn't just hold on to it all. He says, like a lot of brothers, like, if I'm the firstborn, hey, I own this. You, you tough luck. Not with Jesus. Jesus, the firstborn, says, what's mine is yours. What's yours is mine. I give it to you freely. That, that, that's what we get when we, when we understand the sonship of who we are and what we get through the adoption of Christ. This is what he wants us to understand. And so in adoption, God brings those who are enemies of God and makes them family of God, where we get this eternal inheritance and this living hope. That's for another day. But our adoption in Christ takes us from a law courtroom into a living room, but not just the living room. He invites us in further and into the dining room and says, I want, to, I want you to eat, and I want you to dine, and I want you to dwell here. I offer to you this, this unique relationship that not, not anyone everyone can, can be a part of this, but as you're adopted in, you get in on this. That's the sweetness of adoption, something we must not overlook, must not minimize. <clears throat> you see, the, the biblical pillars of adoption serve really as an excellent foundation in which our faith should be built upon. So we need to remember these things. We need to rehearse these things in our mind. Remind them to ourselves. Remind them to others. Because these are essential foundational pillars of our faith that can really help us move forward when in life we feel like we're moving backwards. To know that we are adopted, to know that we are children of God, to know that we have this Heavenly Father who longs to take care of us. You know, out of all the Bible doctrines, I really do think this is the sweetest of all of them. 
because adoption is this gracious act of God where he makes the justified sinners his beloved children. God doesn't say, listen, I forgave you of a lot. You remember that. You go sit in that corner. You can never repay me, so I just want you to sit there, and I want you to shut your mouth, and I want you to be quiet, and don't annoy me. That's not what God does. God the Father says, yeah, I forgive you. Yeah, you got a lot of issues. We're going to work on that. By my grace, I'm sure we can do it. You're a work in progress, but guess what? The table is set, and I got a seat for you. I want you to come and partake. I want you to enjoy this. That, that's who God is. That's, that's the heart of him. And that's what the heart of adoption is as we see this here. Hopefully you see that adoption is rooted in God's eternal plan and his inexhaustible love. I already said you should read Ephesians 1 today. I just want to read verse 5 where it says, listen to these words. We're not going to unpack it all, but it says this, he predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself according to the good pleasure of his will. You see, God in his good pleasure designed for us to be adopted children of God. This is really good for us. Remember how he says it's not plan A, it's plan, it, it's, it wasn't plan B, it's plan A. Like, this has been God's perfect plan all throughout, and so we can understand and appreciate this. It's an amazing thought that God would design us to not only be friends, but marvel at us becoming family. You know, in our world, everyone, I mean, isn't this true? Everyone longs for a home. Everyone longs for peace and harmony and love and a place to belong, a seat at the table. And so while we can look for that in many places, and many people do, God the Father, through the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit, does just that. He offers us a seat at the table. He takes the repentant sinner, grants them an eternal home, and makes them join heirs with him. Romans 8. We go from foe to family. You know, it's more than a meal. We become family members. Last week, we had our celebration Sunday where we had the, the communion table there. And as we take of communion, it's the celebration. Why? Well, it's the celebration because we look back on the Last Supper and we remember what he's getting ready to do. But we also look back at the words of Jesus. And he said, I'm not going to have this kind of supper. I'm not going to have this kind of meal again. Until I, I call my, my adopted children home. And we're going to have a major feast. So it's a looking back, but it's a looking ahead. They, they understood that, that intimate setting for the Passover, that last supper there. Uh, we're all family here. I was working through Matthew chapter 12 a few weeks ago. And um, there's this passage where Jesus is teaching full house in, in there again. Maybe they're sitting around eating because oftentimes his teaching went with eating. And here's what we see. His mother and brother come to the door. And they're like, hey, Jesus, uh, your mom and, and uh, brother are here at the door. And do you know what Jesus responds? He says, who is my mother and my brother? It's not like he forgot who they were. He didn't have like amnesia, like who's my mom, who's my brother? But you know what he said? He didn't want to maximize those relationships. He wanted to maximize this eternal relationship because you know what he did? He looked at his disciples there, all the saved believers, followers of him. He said, you are my brothers. You are my mothers. <laughs> we are going to spend eternity. Because he wanted them to get off the, the eyes off just some of the temporal, it, it, temporal things and more consider 
the eternal things. And that's what he's drawing their attention to in that particular passage. It's not to minimize his mom or his brother, but it's to maximize this eternal adoption relationship that we have, which is why he'd call them brothers and sisters and all these things. What a wonderful, wonderful thought. You know, um, as we think of that opening story of that foreign adoption, I want us to consider the gospel of Christ, where God the Father would send his son to a foreign, distant, dark land, full of hardships, despised and rejected. We already talked about that. But the harshest of all things would him being dying on the cross out of love, love from the Father sending him to make us into family. That act brings about our adoption, makes it possible. It wasn't going to be easy, but it was needed. There's no other way. But because of this, we can rejoice today. You see, in Christ, we are now God's children. So, as we close, although we can't think of all the benefits and privileges yet, that's next week. Until then, I, I really do think we, we can rejoice in what we've already heard, this adoption status. And if you're not part of that, if you're not a child of God, if you're not in yet, I mean, repent today. <laughs> repent today, turn today. Accept this, this gift of salvation and be born again, uh, uh, receive this adoption, and get a seat at the table. I can say this. None of us come from a perfect family, and none of us had perfect fathers. In fact, maybe you had a, a bad father. Maybe you are a bad father. I don't know. I, I have my issues, right? But here's what I know. Through Christ, we obtain this perfect heavenly father, and we can take hope in that because... Um, it's not based on me, but it's based on his good works to me. And that is great hope for other people who are down and out, feeling my family is broken, my life is wrecked. Yes, it is. God can help in the midst of that, and yet you can still have this wonderful home yet to come that we can talk about later. Here's what I've come to understand with adoption. One of the biggest challenges and struggles is establishing trust. Trust can quickly well trust is hard to gain and easy to lose and here's what I think sometimes we as God's adopted children struggle to trust God as we ought to remembering these pillars is going to be very helpful for us in our times of discouragement and our times of doubt to remember who he is I mean Jesus even said like even a bad father knows how to good, give good gifts we have a good father who knows what is best for us, even in the midst of messy, sinful struggles of life. And we can rest in that. We can rejoice in that. With that in mind, let's close with a word of prayer.